0: You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCR-LP, Santa Cruz.
1: Hi, I'm Carla Malden, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get
0: on the Drinks with Tony show, yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Carla Malden. She's the author of the novel, My Two and Only. Hi, Carla. Hi, Tony. Well... Let's just inform the inform the people that we were taping for 20 minutes. And that was some of the the, and I forgot to hit record. And I got to tell you, that was some of the best conversation I've ever had in my life.
1: (laughs) We'll do it again. We can duplicate it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that was like that was like better than any real life conversation I had and any podcast conversation I had. And I was so excited about how great it was. And then I saw that I wasn't taping.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> you can say that because no one's ever going to hear it. So.
0: I know. Exactly. <laughs> you can say all. Oh. Well, Let the but,
1: superlatives fly.
0: Yeah, but I think we were brilliant, though. I know we were. Yeah. And, you know, if there are angels, there are angels out there that were they, they're They're having a post-coital smoke right now. They're just like, that was good. Was that good for you? You know, hey, Gabriel, did you get that one? Okay, cool. <laughs> Take two. Oh, talk about pie in the face. Talk about pie in the face. We're talking about two and all, o- my two and only. Here we go. Um, we we're talking about, oh, we talked. Oh, I'm going to try to, and this is the part, we'll just be honest with the audience. It's the part where I try to pretend that we haven't talked about this yet, but I can't pretend. So the audience knows that this isn't pretend, this is me trying to recreate one of the most brilliant conversations I just ever had. It's like being at the East 92nd Y in New York City. And I'm talking to one of the, it's just one of the greatest conversations where the hundreds of people leaving that we just had walk away and talk about it for a week with their whole family. And everyone's like, you weren't there. You weren't there. We're going to do it again. I don't feel like you're consoling me, (laughs) or is that pressure you're like, we're gonna do it again? (laughs) Well, it's so lovely to have you on the show again. I always get a kick out of it. All right, I think I've only had you on once before, but it's always fun. Um, we're right, the last we were talking about the identity because your character in the book loses her husband, and all of a sudden she's not a wife anymore. And I had that same experience when I was going through my divorce. All it's like, I liked being a husband, Tony, that's the husband guy, you know, after they said, good looking, you know, all that stuff. But the, the idea of losing the losing the who I was just on that title alone. And that like identity of sorts really messed with my head.
1: Well, in the book, my two and only it's, uh, very much an exploration of the concept of identity and how you can get stuck in an identity. But in fact, the identity that the lead character becomes stuck in is that of being a widow. She she goes from being a wife to being a widow at the very beginning of the book. The husband's death is the inciting incident. And then she became, becomes stuck in being a widow. The widowhood really defines her and the after many, many, many years, she finds herself falling in love. And it's really her grappling with that feeling, and how that, you know, contradicts her self image as a widow. Because when it's, you know, society sort of tells us, if you're lucky in life, you get a one and only. Mm. And then sometimes something tragic happens or whatever, and you lose that person. And then we get another message, which is move on, move on already. Well, this is the story of one woman trying to sort of reconcile those two forces and really grappling with the contradiction and the tension between those two messages in her life and really in her heart.
0: So interesting that I I like how you brought that up, how society kind of puts the pressure on us. I feel it too, because I'm like, Who's what you know, who's my second and only, right?
2: Right. <laughs> For this my is next my
0: marriage. And it's and it's um and I I have that pressure on myself. But yeah, the whole get over it, the whole get over it pressure. I do you feel part of that get over it pressure is because people are so nervous that they're talking to someone who's gone through the like the tragic grief of a loss of a spouse?
1: I think it's partially that. Yes, I agree. And I think it's also that we have a tendency just as human beings to want things to have a time frame, you know, particularly her friends. You mean, if I lost my husband, I would be grieving that profoundly for 12 years. I mean, it's that's just too painful to even, you know, conjure. So I think it's partly that that if things are supposed to have their season and yeah. her season of being in the depths of widowhood, which is not to say she's, you know, actively rending her clothes and being a basket case for 12 years. She's made a wonderful life for herself. She's raised her children all as well. But the concept of falling in love again just throws that out of whack.
0: Yeah. and then what And what does it take where... And it could be you or your character. I'm just asking for the general idea. What does it take for, <clears throat> for the heart to open to love again?
1: It takes, I think <clears throat> in her case, it takes acknowledging the past. And you and I were talking about that before. <clears throat> then, you know, it's it's this kind of double-edged chick, sword, chicken and egg thing of you have to acknowledge the past to be To allow yourself to become unstuck from it, and you can only unstick yourself when you really face it and acknowledge it, so I have this kind of. um, motif or device throughout the book where she keeps reliving the day her husband died and different facts about it come out every time and then at the end some a whole new take sort of arises without. Giving any spoilers, but you sort of wonder, well, what was the truth of that day? And I, I like that it's it's a little bit ambiguous. You know, has her memory evolved? Was she not allowing herself to remember the true day? Was you know, or is she rewriting the truth to make it more palatable? All of those things are possible. And and personally, as the writer, it it I don't care which one a, a reader walks away with and thinks works for them. They're they're all possible and they're all the truth.
0: It's and, and memory is so interesting because we can um, I feel like our everybody's memory is tainted in some way. And it's, it's always a, we all have our own point of view. And even a year from now, um, our point of view of the memory of the thing is more probably the memory of the memory of the thing that we keep that keeps coming up in the file in our brain instead of the actual thing at the beginning
1: that's exactly right and that's exactly what I'm trying to explore here with this revisiting of that day it's that phenomenon of when you you, when your parents have told you stories about yourself as a child do you remember it actually happening do you remember doing that funny little thing or do you just remember the story of them telling you about it you know
0: yeah and then and then and then remembering something and going how like that comes out of nowhere and you're like wait i used to remember that all the time how yeah. how has that left my sphere for 15 years
1: i know i know well this yeah this is a book very much about memory and her memory her personal memory is shaped by guilt and mm-hmm. various things that really possibly interfere with the truth of it
0: yeah it's kind of, you know, it, it sounds like you've been through a lot of therapy because it sounds like the therapeutic process.
1: I've never been to therapy no! in my life.
0: Because <laughs> you haven't needed to because you've already done it. The, um, <laughs> It's just like the, uh, when you have a traumatic experience and you're kind of like reworking the story over and over again and and it's, you know, and sometimes it gets even harder, but it's just like, but you you get to that the, the, the darkness and then the darkness isn't, you know, it's scary, but then it's, but then again, but when you like open yourself up to it, then it loses its power kind of thing. And then you're, and then you're just like, Oh, wow. Okay. That's a part of my life. Now I get it. And it's, it does, it's, I feel like, like, for the things I've been through, it's, I've been shifted and I'm like, ouch. Okay. Looking at that now hurts in a huge way. But then there's a moving on that kind of goes with it, and it's never as bad. It, it it never it never swallows us.
1: Well, and for those of us who are inclined to put things into words, I think that is a huge help in that process. You know, when you right. take an experience and a trauma and transform it into words, it sort of takes it out of you and puts it out there in the world, even if it's not for anybody else to see, it just shapes it into something you could almost hold in your hand that becomes more manageable than something that's just free floating around your psyche.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. That's why I journal every day. And I also have the little, you know, my feelings exercises because it's, yeah. but it's, if that's all aside. And then, and then there's the writing part of it. And, um, but sometimes the writing part of it is uh, it's even worse than my journals. <laughs> I I think I think I go through more pain in the writing and when I'm when I, when I'm actually working on something and then, and then I go, oh crap! I'm writing that because of blank blank blank, and then I got to face blank blank blank. You know.
1: Well, it's that sort of you you know the poem we all read in school, the rhyme of the ancient mariner. I always call it ancient mariner syndrome. This guy who's just you know compelled to retell his tale to anybody who will listen and people who won't listen. It's that sort of thing. And instead of having to do that constantly, people like you and me write it, you know,
0: <laughs> over and over and over because yeah. it's about the craft. Yeah. Cause we're consumers of the craft too. And that's, that's the beauty of it. Anyway. Um, I, I don't know if you know, Janet Fitch, uh, she, she always, she has this wonderful phrase and I always I always attribute it to her because it's amazing she says um writing is breathing out reading is breathing in
1: blows my mind I like it, 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 I, it. I, I, yeah there's a lot of breathing in with writing too but I understand exactly what she means yeah it's well and it's an exchange in both directions
0: it's it's a conversation that I uh, that I feel like. Uh, we're lucky to have because we get to, we've had, we have our books on the shelves and libraries and places in the world. So other people are getting to have conversations with us that, um, that we don't even know who they are. And we might right. not, we would probably not ever like them or want to even have a cup of coffee with them.
1: Well, I have to say, when I wrote my memoir after image, which, you and I were talking about earlier was sort of a companion piece or kind of bookend to this novel in that it also dealt with my husband's death in, in real life and this one is entirely fictionalized but that I have to say when I got letters from people who were quote unquote helped by that which I never set out to do was not my goal at all um, but it was that really was a magnificent experience, you know, people all over the world. And I had a doctor at the City of Hope, an oncologist, write to me and say, um, I'm going to look at my relationship with patients and their families entirely differently now and understand the power in the words that I choose and how they go home and parse those words, which was so the truth in my case. Um, and that, I mean, that's just the bonus you can never imagine. Yeah. So yes, the the conversation that you're having, and every now and then it comes back to you, and it's really sort of remarkable.
0: And I and I think it comes back when we don't set out to do it, right? When we're when we're just writing our truth and we're and we're putting it on the paper. Those people that write a lot of self, you know, oh, I went through this and you can too, kind of thing. And I'm just going yeah what are you trying to do that's that's an ego bring it down bring it down yeah but but when you're not trying to set it out to do it you're just trying to find the truth that's when that's when the people gather and they they I, i i think people have um part of my french and also they have a um bullshit meter that they don't even know they have but but when they read a book if if the truth isn't in it they are they don't know why it's they're not they're not enjoying it but if that thread of of really diving into what the true essence of the emotional is isn't there oh yeah, yeah, yeah forgettable but when they remember and they reach out to the author that's when the that's when that that essence is there and the and the reader doesn't know why but Writers, writers you're absolutely know why. I'm
1: right, talking. you can't pretend to have any answers for anyone else. I mean, I don't have answers for myself, so yeah, yeah you just have to tell your story.
0: Yeah, that you're working on a book now. What what is your what is your uh, schedule like when you're in the um, throes of oh um think I, I think this is a thing.
1: Well. Um, yeah, that's exactly it. Well put, I think this is a thing. <laughs> Do you have a sampler that embroidered that says that?
0: <laughs> I should get a I have no tattoos, but that should be my first tattoo. That's it. I
1: think this is a thing. I'm at exactly that point right now with my new project. The yeah. I, not even the ground floor, kind of the basement, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think this is a thing. My schedule is well, it's interesting. I am determined with this one for sort of the first time. I've had this determination before, but I'm really determined this time to have a fully functional fleshed out outline before I start writing. Much as I'm seeing scenes and I'm hearing dialogue and I wanna put it down, I'm trying to just make those little notes I refer to and not allow myself the luxury of really the fun of the writing until I really have everything in order, because I'm hoping, the theory is, that that will make the writing more straightforward and certainly the rewriting easier, because I won't have to go back and fix anything structural that I messed up. So I am working on the outline of this thing that I think is a thing. And um, I like to think, I've gotten easier on myself in recent years in that if i'm not sitting at my desk all the time i'd say that's okay i'm always sort of percolating and i acknowledge the value of that so at this point you know i sit down every day for a few hours i'm kind of at that point i know once i have this theoretical outline in order and i begin the writing it'll the the schedule will take care of itself you know that's the fun part
0: so this is the first time you've done an outline before you. Uh, I've, the- I've
1: I've have had outlines of varying complexity, mm-hmm. uh, but this one I really want to have, like I like I would have if I were writing a screenplay. You know, the per- not just the scene, but what I want to come out in that scene, how that scene is going to reinforce a particular theme. So I really I really want it to be hefty.
0: Oh, I want to do that on a novel so bad. I still can't do it that way. I have to I know. go. To- I got to go totally pants down. I, I don't even know what I'm doing today. Hello. Kind of how I do this show.
1: Yeah. Well, that's that's what I've always done. The, the last one I had, I was somewhere between the two. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's it's a spectrum of outline. But this time I'm, I'm really trying. I'm not sure I'm going to succeed, but I'm trying. Yeah.
0: I think uh, you know as we find our as we find our author voices which are all unique you know that's what's so great about uh because every story's been told right but the way we tell it is the only way that we can tell it we're the only ones that have that experience yeah you know right. I, I i'm not sure if you uh, agree with me on that cuz you're looking at me like i'm crazy
1: no i am agreeing with you i'm <laughs> okay. just i'm thinking that the idea is that with an outline that's a little more weighty the rewrite gets much easier you know so it's really it's just it's selfish it's really selfish. i love that because if in other situations where i've just begun with the writing like you're talking about which is the fun part then you it's we talked about cutting your darlings it's it's very hard not to read some of that stuff and think well, that's just fabulous. How can I not keep that? But it has absolutely nothing to do with the book anymore. I'm hoping to avoid, I'm hoping to put myself through the excruciating agony of writing an outline to avoid that later agony of having to say, that doesn't belong here.
0: (laughs) And wait, well, yeah, and I think we did this before we we were doing our (laughs) warm-up. (laughs) <laughs> it's like you're on a talk show and you're talking to a segment producer and then all of a sudden we're like, "All right, are you ready? Okay, here comes your makeup artist." Um the uh what what was I saying now that I brought up my horrible mistake. Um the uh oh when when you lose a scene and you feel like you still have it in the book when you're when the when the book is out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you're on an interview and you're like, "Oh yeah, well, I mean, that was when Sebastian did this this and this and they're looking at you like, I don't remember that part. I don't right. read, and who's
1: right? Sebastian? Yeah,
0: You <laughs> got a whole character out of your book. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's awesome.
2: Yeah, uh-huh. I, oh, that
1: happened to me in this new book in my two and only. I the lead uh, character had a brother who's who's no longer with us. He's long gone, uh, and many. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Had I had an outline, yeah. I would have known the brother didn't serve the story and he would have been cut before he was ever written.
0: Now, now here's something that, that um, uh, we could, we, this, that, that's such a great idea. I feel like we need the story of following these characters that were cut from other stories. Oh, that's fun. That would be a fun book <laughs> or, <laughs> or, you know, got to write it. That's the hard part. It's like ideas. It, um I I, I, t- I teach novel. I mean not, not why if yeah I do that, but at the library once a month, I just teach a general creative writing class in Los Feliz. And all of a sudden, it's like on last Wednesday when I taught it, the room was beyond full. We like, we were out of chairs. And I and it was, I was like, what is going on? It turns out we're a national novel writing month. The month of November, um, Nano So as so I was like, oh, how many of you are here for that? And and the people who I'd never seen before raised their hands. So I was like, interesting. And uh, one of the young ladies, um, I was like, so how? I asked. I was just. I was like, let me interview you, who hasn't read a written she's read a book, who hasn't written a book yet, and you're on day five of this this uh, quest. Did you have your character first or your idea first? And she said it was her idea. She didn't have a character first. And I was like, that's cool. And it was almost like I was interviewing her, like her book came out. She'd only been working on it for five days, which how many times do you get a uh, someone who hasn't written anything, who has been writing the last five days and you go, okay, I'm going to interview you right now.
1: Well, you probably helped her formulate some of the ideas I bet.
0: Well, what, what was interesting is I was like, and you've been writing, you've been writing every day. She's like, yeah, a thousand words a day. And I was like, do you, now how, how do you feel about the idea that you had compared to what you're writing? And she's all, I hate it. My writing's horrible. And I'm like, bless you. That's exactly, that's everything. Cause the idea could be great, but then when it gets on paper, we have to craft it. And that is a whole nother beast. Cause right. no, nothing looks good. It's, it's like, you know, I feel like in my head, my idea is just this chiseled swimsuit model speedo dude you know in the italian riviera and then when i put it on paper it's just like this you know lumpy job of the hut that's like trying to uh crawl down hollywood boulevard you know and you're well, like so okay i have a
1: little bit of the opposite syndrome and that's why i'm trying so hard to craft an outline because i feel like if i know i'm I my i'm the first to admit my weakness is plot I think I'm really strong with character. I think I'm good with dialogue, but it's, I tend not to give people enough conflict. That is not the case in this book, my two and only that's just out, because that's why I worked so hard on it. But I know that's my weakness and that's what I have to work on. But then once I know what a scene is about, I feel like I can do my best to make that sing. So I'm kind of the opposite. It's like, give me the, Put the person in the conflict situation, and I think I can do that. But it's just charting that the arc of that conflict that is my struggle.
0: Interesting, yeah, because the conflict is everything. Yeah, because like, you've done screenwriting. You've you've written for TV too, right? Screenwriting, yeah. Screenwriting, yeah. It's um screenplays. I, I it's I should be able to say it in English by this point. Um, it, it's if if there's not conflict on almost every page we're doing it wrong right right it, it's it's um and 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 it's and it also it it's against our human nature to want to put anyone in as much conflict as we do as writers
1: well especially these people that we love who wander around in our brains you know
0: <laughs> yeah yeah, it's just like, I wish I can just give this guy a beer, but I got to throw you out there to the wolves again, man. And actually, they're going to shred you to death and you're going to like barely make it to the stop sign.
2: Well,
1: the memoir that I wrote after my husband died was called After Image, and then the subtitle was A Broken Hearted Memoir of a Charmed Life. And I really feel like I know how lucky I've been. I've had this really lovely largely conflict-free life and then i had tragedy drop on me but you know and other things but for the most part you know I've, i've had this really lovely life my my husband says to me you know you were spoiled in that not materially not in any of those ways but in that you had this really amazing loving family and you think all families were like that and should be like that you know so my point being i haven't had a lot of experience with conflict and i am actually very conflict averse in my personal life you know i will take the polar route around a conflict not to have to go through it so that's something i struggle with in my work that i'm really trying to address you know is to really make the stakes high and the hurdles high
0: Yeah. And that's and that's how like in writing and in life, that's how we get to know our characters. Like even if our as we as we look at the characters of our lives, who are our friends and our family or whatever, when that when when the struggle comes, when, when the bad thing happens, we see the reaction. How how do we personally get over these hard things? Right. And do we grow or do we go the opposite way? It's, you know, it's just I've, to put it very simplistically, somebody could have come out of a heavy addiction and get out alive. And then do they shine and go, oh, wait, here's my calling in life. Or do they just become a terror and never get rid of the original thing that brought them to, um, you know, whatever drug or whatever they were using. So, they never get out of their thing
1: right and we all know people who spend their entire adult life blaming their parents for some little tiny thing you know oh
0: don't get me wrong my parents are right.
1: <laughs> you know it's at a certain point no i'm kidding make your choices get on with it you know yes
0: no exactly that's and it's and it's um and it's hard that you and, and i've like been going through this the past couple of years it's hard to look at the choices that i've made on certain different things and go I did that because of blank, blank, blank. Oh my God. I thought it was that other person's problem. It was me. It was yeah. me. And
1: then theoretically you don't do it again, or at least, you know, when you're doing it again.
0: <laughs> oh my God. I love it. Cause it, I, I'm, when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about my relationship and dating life and you know, really those, the, that situation. And, um, and i found myself doing certain things again. And I'm like, that's me. How am I inviting this? How am I inviting this in? How am I inviting this in? This is me. This is me. What am I? What? What's my thing?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think
0: I got it. <laughs> it's why I'm in therapy every week. And, with, and she's, yeah, my therapist is just like, yeah, I think, I don't think you're ever going to be in a similar relationship again that you've ever had in your life. Like, and I'm just like, yeah, it's going to be weird to be in a healthy relationship as I've taken two years off of relationships.
1: Well, I think that's a really good thing. Personally, I'm a big advocate of that. I have to say, I mean, nobody cares about my personal life, but I when, care. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I had really never lived alone as an adult till my husband died. Uh, and that then when I the, before I met my second not met, but got together I we knew each other forever, but got together with my current husband, I was alone for. We, well i was single for almost 8 years but before he moved in it was like a, a good 5 6 years and i think those were i mean I, I was old for that it wasn't like i was in my 20s you know i was a grown up and i think those were absolutely invaluable years for me as a as a human person
0: when you were at the beginning of those years at the time did it feel like the worst time of your life where you didn't know that this was going to be invaluable time for you
1: well i was in such deep grief and mourning that, yes, I mean, that that was just get me through the day. That was just a survival thing. You know, I was lucky that I had a daughter. And so I had somebody to, you know, live for and go through this with. But it was that was just seriously. I'd get into bed at night and say, "Okay, I made it another day, you know. But once I got out of that kind of really quagmire mode it, um, yeah, I, I started to think, look, a little bit of look at me i can do this all by myself i'm do, i'm going such and such a place all by myself i'm doing this, you know and it was very a word i'm not crazy about empowering but it was you know especially as a woman
0: yeah i i think um yeah they, i i like the word resilient because because the humans we i mean you know and i, I kind of go from my personal experience and what i've seen but we just don't know how resilient we are until we're hit with conflict and then and then it's just like and then it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel good for a long time you know i've i've had many times i've had many times in my life where i've spent a week in bed you know and then all and you're just like how does this ever change and then all of a sudden it's we forget how bad it got
1: yeah yeah, yeah. it's well you the, the self indulgent isn't fun anymore after a while. You know,
0: it's like Yeah, that makes sense. It's because that, that's a good way to put it because the um because at some point we put it on ourselves and we actually get out of it ourselves. Like we were talking about the time thing where people have a time frame of how long are you supposed or you know, oh you found your one and only, right? And then oh you lost your one and only. Now how long are you supposed to grieve? Right. You've got a year, a year on the clock, you know? Right. A, to, you know is is that an actual ritual i think in some countries where you wear black for a year if you're oh a, absolutely yeah. yeah and there's
1: a, it's sort of a an unspoken kind of you know maxim
0: yeah
1: you have a year and then get on with it already
0: yeah, yeah and yeah and you're like is that the gregorian calendar is that the jewish cal- <laughs> is it what what calendar am i on yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and and the, and and in my book my two and only as i said this woman is operating on a very different calendar yeah and that's what she needs to do until all... she doesn't until she doesn't
2: yeah. and still
1: until it becomes counterproductive and self defeating
0: yeah and then we walk away right yeah i some i i know some guys who like I know a lot of my friends had their, when they're in their second marriage and their second marriage is even some of them are on their 20 year anniversaries. That's just like the best thing ever. And, um, and, but I've had other friends who are like, had three and four wives and they're like, oh no, it's always the third one, dude. It's always the third one. Like, I still got another one to go, but, um, just, but it's just the thing, the little things in life. Like we get a year to, we get, we get a year to grieve or we get, uh. It's it's going to be the third one, man. Who makes these
1: things up, you know? Who I know.
0: Exactly. And then at the same time, I, I could see it in certain cultures where it also, if you like have to wear black and you're kind of standing out as the widow, that you're telling men, you know, no. Like you're telling men that I I can't even deal with this. So, you know, don't treat me like somebody that you are coming up and um talking me up to have a date with right right it's showing the world that you're in mourning, so people can approach you appropriately
1: it makes your role very clear
0: yeah we should have t-shirts of what our moods are when we wake up in the morning (laughs) i like that and then we could all it's just you know it's just like
1: or bring back the mood ring
0: the mood (laughs) ring yeah but on the but we got to put it on our third eye so it's like everyone can see it it's just like had a great sex dream you know like you wake up and you're like oh it's that was a great sex dream and you put that on then people are like that's why he's walking tall down the street there you go <laughs> do you remember your dreams
1: uh i am someone who has chronic nightmares so uh, oh so you do so remember your
0: dreams and they're sometimes not good. i do
1: sometimes i don't yeah but, um my poor husband i i I, this is also very personal. I tend to scream a lot in my sleep. But,
2: uh-huh.
1: uh, I come from a family of women who do that. Yeah, I'm convinced it's genetic.
0: Yeah, it's, and we
1: all have our unique scream. My mother, my sister.
0: <laughs> oh my god! I, that you just gave me a new audio idea. Your all the women in your family need to sleep in one room one night, and we need to record everything. And it will be like, and then we'll have a symphony come in, and then they'll have to like follow the screams
1: yeah yeah
0: i want to do that
1: anyway so yes i i dream a lot and unfortunately they're very rarely
0: pleasant do you do you think that the ones that you remember are so unpleasant and that there was probably a lot of pleasant dreams in there that you just that didn't that they all got upstaged by the demon dreams
1: i have no idea yeah no idea um yeah i i don't The it's i that's I was talking earlier with you about how there's this sort of possibly Venn diagram of my life and my lead character Charlotte's life in the in the book my two and only and that the little sliver of overlap is just that we're both widows and we both got get remarried so that's it everything else is fiction, except I did give her. A dream that I had for years after my husband died, which was that he left me for another woman Uh, and that. I dreamt that almost weekly and I, I began to think as one starts to d- try to penetrate that, um, that it gave me excuse to be mad at him for leaving.
0: Oh, and interesting. And that that's a coping mechanism of, of its own, I guess. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, easier to be mad at him for leaving yeah. than to have it be that it was nobody's fault and just a random nihilistic universe, you know? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to to think that um we, we always want to put blame. Yeah. I, I think it's because we want justice so bad. And that's why the that's why the big blockbuster movies are just essentially about justice. You know, the right. theme is but it's just that we, we want justice even when we're in line at the grocery store and someone blatantly cuts in front of us. Yeah, and, and the whole line's going, wait, what just happened? And, you know, maybe she only has an orange. Uh, but at the same time, she broke she broke the rules, and it's oh, unfair, yeah. and we want justice. Well, I have a little three-year-old
1: grandson, and he is at, at this very moment into saying no fair all the time. <laughs> and half the time he uses it inappropriately. It makes yeah. no sense whatsoever. But it's clearly this concept that he's got, that he's just grappling with, you know this light bulb has gone on that sometimes things are no fair and that's really upsetting you
2: know
0: wow he's gonna be a lawyer
1: oh i don't know i yeah. don't know but that's I, a lot of no fair no fair
0: and, and from the and from this when he's on the uh i don't know what they call this stand, the judge the judge stand he'll be like no you know when someone would say objection he'd be like no fair
1: no fair <laughs> <laughs> no fair your <laughs>
0: honor yeah no pair <laughs> do, do you do you look at your grandson and kind of think of what um what he'll grow up into do you have like
1: all the time you, yeah all the time
0: what do you uh, hope what's what's the what would be the greatest thing and then one day when he looks back 25 years from now he'd be like grandma said what um
1: well my personal bent is that it's something in the arts because that's the way I was brought up to sort of value the arts and that's that's just me so that would be delightful both Uh. his parents are in the arts so it's very likely um Uh. he loves music um he loves to build he could be an architect and he has a had a great grandfather who was an architect Um, i don't know it's funny i was once at a dinner party many years ago when my daughter was little and somebody said to me, "Do you think about we I guess we were sort of going around the table saying what do you what do you think about your for your child when they grow up?" And I said, "I don't really care what she is as long as she's not an accountant and it turned out there were three accountants at oh. the table." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, I do that all the time. I and say stupid I stuff forget
1: all the that. time. Yeah. I was yeah. mortified. So I did a whole backpedal thing. Well, you know, it's just because it doesn't seem like that would suit her personally. You know, whatever. I had yeah. there was no taking my foot out of my mouth. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah, yeah. You just go, no, no, not that. I mean, what I'm talking about is an IRS auditor accountant. Yeah. Like two people go, that's what we do when we do that.
1: But yes, I can't. I, I was about to say to you. I can't wait to see what he becomes, but I can absolutely wait. I'm happy to wait. I'm enjoying every minute.
0: <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. And then, then the, the people who are listening, and um, if they don't know, your dad was Carl Malden. So that's, you grew up in a family that's been a th- theatrical. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A- and and I've, I think we talked about it on the last time he came on the show just how cool it was when you were on the set of the streets of San Francisco as a baby. Did we talk about a little, that? A little
1: older, little older than a baby. Oh, um, okay. But uh, yeah, I I would go visit him when he was in San Francisco. I would did not spend a lot of time on movie sets. It, it's kind of a it's a different time now from what it was when I was growing up. In that now, you know, you think of actors bringing their little family entourage with them everywhere they they go. It wasn't like that, at least in my family uh my if my father had to go on location he went and my mother stayed home with us and we had very normal life and if he was shooting something in town he went to work he came home like a like some like a daddy but yes all that said we had you know fascinating luminous people around us and I am very grateful for that
0: what was who was one of your favorites that where you're just like you look back and you're uh, i am so glad that i was in that person's life and that they were in mine.
2: well
1: it's it's hard not to say marlon brando <laughs>
0: okay yeah yeah that's really cool yeah
1: yeah uh, it's hard not to think of him um but then i happened to live on um we lived on a can in a canyon here in brentwood los angeles and our our neighbors i mean this is gonna i hope this doesn't sound obnoxious but it's just our neighbors were richard woodmark and eva marie saint and various other people who were our close family friends and those were the houses that you know my sister and i would go back and forth to and play with the kids and it's it, it was just lovely because what's what's possibly unique about some of those people in the movie business or in the arts is that We found that they were, my sister and I were just talking about this, we found that they were really interested in all of the children, in one another's children as people, you know, we weren't just the children and we weren't just extensions of our parents. They were really interested in us and what we were doing and what we were interested in. So that, it made for a fantastic childhood.
0: I feel like if, if people who are in the arts and have to be creative, they have to be kind of close to being childlike. Correct. You have to still have that playfulness and that, and that makes so much sense, yeah. Very much so. I feel like when I see kids around, I'm like, oh my God, here, here come here come the, the unformed minds who are putting it all together and they're at the, their creative peaks. You yeah. know, just like, if I could just touch your brain for a second and you just, you see them looking at things and the way they look at things, just, you, you, it, it's that's the joy of it. You you know, when you see your grandson look at things and you're just going, Oh. The joy of like seeing a human doing that and calculating and putting it all together—it's the
1: best. And then to be, to, you know, to eavesdrop on him when he doesn't know you're watching, and he's playing with toys, and they're talking to each other back and forth, and doing whole scenes and stuff—it's like, oh, give me some of that, you know?
0: Right, right. And then, and then you walk in, you go, wait a second, um, why well, would restart that scene? Just go put the <laughs> put the characters back there. If you amp up the conflict a little bit, like it has to be no fair, it just has to be no fair in every scene
1: <laughs> it usually is
0: <laughs> it's it's so yeah it's um i i didn't you know I didn't grow up in a way where i that I had arts i i i had you know I had the Bible and preaching um that I had to do until I was in my twenties, you know, so I didn't even there was no room for art and to, um, why did I even bring that up? To uh, to to find art later in life and to be like insatiable about it. And I still feel insatiable about it. And it's I kind of feel lucky because I'm just like, I'm still like devouring. I'm, I'm, it's like, I'm, I always feel like I'm left behind and I'm still trying to devour as much as possible. And people are like, no, no, you're good, dude. I'm like, no, you have no idea. This means everything in the world to me. I'm so lucky that my life shifted, you know?
1: I, I get that. I mean, I will go to people's homes and think, where where's the art on the walls? I mean I'm not I'm not talking just about, you know, written art or movies. It's like I, I don't see how people don't surround themselves with art all the time, you know.
0: It blows my mind if people don't have books in their house. Yeah. Or if they have five books and they're the same five books that everyone has in their house. That's even scarier.
1: Yeah. Right. At one point, it would have been the Da Vinci Code, right? Right,
0: right. Yeah, yeah. The minute the minute you see the Da Vinci Code, you go, "Can't be friends, can't be lovers. I'm out." You know, it's. it's I, cast, fine. I
1: cast no no aspersions. We should all have his success, right?
0: Oh, I no. Actually, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I'm saying if it's the only book in the house, right, if it's exactly. if it's like one of three that's a problem if, yeah. if there's a hundred and there's the da vinci code in there yeah. fantastic i read the da vinci code i yeah. remember reading it it was yeah. and, and it was actually i think i got more out of it than most people because i was so excited to learn about catholicism i never knew that angle on it and that's the old that's the only memory i have of the book um but and i was just like wow catholics catholics crazy yeah but i mean in the end aren't we all crazy too so
1: yes no argument there
0: yeah but like where does it start does does the craziness start with these institutions or does the craziness or do we or if we don't have any institutions do we become do we start our own institutions and apparently we do
1: uh
0: yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i i'm looking for a new religion would you uh tell me where to go
1: i wish i could (laughs) i wish i could
0: yeah you know
1: the it, whole it, world the whole world should
0: be looking for a new religion oh you know that's yeah i like that that makes a lot of sense it's uh it even feels like people who are just really the people that kind of freak me out uh well tons of people most people freak me out so let's just pretend like everybody does but the people who are staunch atheists and they're and they're just and i you know <laughs> i'll find out you're a staunch atheist <laughs> did i just blow it
1: (laughs) go on i want to hear the end of that sentence
0: i'm gonna tell you the end of the sentence and then i'm gonna eat my eat my words probably in about uh 90 seconds uh because there's as much faith as saying no to divine than there is a saying yes to a divine i understand yeah you're, You're atheist, atheist, huh? I
1: actually am, but I, I totally understand. Am. But there's no no staunch to it. I wouldn't use the word staunch. Yeah. Um, you know, I. Yeah. I always like to say we used to listen to Breakfast with the Beatles when my daughter was growing up on Sunday mornings. That was that was that did it for us on Sunday morning.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, no. I wish I wasn't. Uh, I mean, growing up, I wish I didn't have to do Bible study three nights a week and preaching two days. It's, it was nuts. I would never want to put a kid through that. That's such a, I, that's a religious thing. It's just, Oh, never again. <laughs> Hashtag never well, again.
2: I
1: think the world is, is giving testimony right now to the harm that religion does. So. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the it's, it's like it in. Yeah. Where, where does where does the evil end and begin when does it come in when is it when when was it when was it in you know i'm throwing there's no answers to this this is totally but but it's just like these are questions i have or it's just like what where did this start and how does it start and like are we innately like as a human collective are we innately evil is this is that like you know how do how do we shift the that
1: been very hard to watch the news in the last few years and not think that especially yeah. in the last month very hard not to think that but that's that's a struggle to have to remind ourselves otherwise
0: yeah and, and then I get scared because I'm like wait because we are a collective so are we part of it <laughs> you well, know you make the
1: choice th- not to be right
0: right we try not to be but it's like did I did I cut off the wrong person in traffic and that that a butterfly effect.
1: <laughs> you can't live like that. I think you can't live like that. That's too crazy making.
0: It is, huh? It is. Now uh, speaking of crazy making, thank you for coming on my crazy making show.
1: My pleasure.
0: listening to 101.9 FM KPCRLP Santa Cruz